This talk was given by Denya Chike Levister at the Zen Center of New York City. Chike is a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. My name is Chike. I'm a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. Um, it is my honor to return to the temple um, to practice together again. It's lovely to see old and new faces. It's a beautiful thing. Um, this is the first time I'm offering a talk here at the temple um, and my second talk ever. So I hope you will bear with me. Um, I, I've been reading um, from um, Cultivating the Empty Field, The Silent Illumination of Zen Master Hong Shi. Um, in particular, um, I want to talk today about this chapter called Practice Instructions. Uh, and this is an excerpt from it. The Practice of True Reality. That's the heading. The practice of true reality is simply to sit serenely in silent introspection. When you have fathomed this, you cannot be turned around by external causes and conditions. This empty, wide-open mind is subtly and correctly illuminating, spacious and content without confusion from inner thoughts of grasping effectively overcome habitual behavior and realize the self that is not possessed by emotions. You must be broad-minded, whole, without relying on others. Such upright, independent spirit can begin not to pursue degrading situations. Here, you can rest and become clean, pure, and lucid, bright and penetrating, you can immediately return accord and respond to deal with events. That's just an excerpt that goes on. This, this um, section of the practice of true reality spoke to me because I think in just a few sentences, it really for me, embodies like all of practice, like literally what you do when you start and where you're headed at the end, um, bright and penetrating, you can immediately return accord and respond to deal with events. I really understand my practice as one that is about equipping me to deal with life, with this lived experience. What is before me in this moment? How do I need it? Um, so, um, practice is personal. And so, um, I'm going to share some details of my personal experience because I think who we are, everything that we are, where we come from, what our backgrounds are, we bring all of that into practice. And so, for each of us, 
while we walk this path, should you choose to do that for the folks who are new and for those who are walking this path, you know, um, if we don't practice ourselves authentically, including all the experiences that help create who we are, um, we're missing something really important. So I first encountered the Zen Center of New York City over two decades ago. Um, and I, I met it, um, I was suffering. I was in pain. I was outraged at the injustice of the world um, and the experiences of so much disconnection in my life. Um, and growing, I've grown up between two worlds. Uh, my father was black, my mother was white. And I felt literally um, as if I didn't belong anywhere. I hoped for freedom. I hoped for human connection. I hoped to believe acceptance was possible and that it was okay to be who I am in this practice, in this world, in this life. I wondered, could I ever live in a way that did not involve me pretending to be what I thought others wanted? Um, back then, my family circumstances were complex on the one hand. Um, I was accepted and loved by my black family, uh, everyone, every one of them. Um, and that's complex for issues that maybe are a topic for another day, like colorism and um, economic disparities, even within my own family. But the love was there and the love was real. Um, but not so much by my white family. Um, I was in a relationship with a partner at the time whose family um, I had been, I had known and celebrated with for years. And at a certain point, they realized I was black and they had felt in all kinds of ways about that. And that was really hurtful. Um, they realized I was black. Like they had some trouble. And despite knowing me for years, finding out. Oops finding out as if this was something I ever hid. So this identity thing, it can be complicated for many of us in many ways. Um, and I want to say with regards to identity, I am so grateful to be sitting here in Brooklyn at the Zen Center of New York City, originally the home of indigenous Lenape people, their land. Um, and I feel so much gratitude for our ancestors, all of them, from many different faith traditions, from many different countries, um, from many different lived experiences and identities. And I wouldn't be here today, but for all of those that came before, all of them. So I wanted to express gratitude to them. So this complexity, this identity thing, it's complicated. I'm probably not alone in that. Um, so I get, uh, what are you? What are you? Uh, hi, good to meet you. What's your background? Um, what do you do for a living? All these questions we have for one another. Like, they seem important somehow, but are they? How important are they? Um, in what way? 
Are these questions important? Do we ask them because someone taught us we should? Is it really about getting to know someone on the receiving end of those questions? Maybe in a way. I suppose in this lifetime, this mind-body, skin bag, as my first teacher, Daito Roshi, used to say, the skin bag we're walking around in, I have felt called on to practice these kinds of questions just because they keep coming up over and over again in my life. Um, To keep learning and sharing and asking, you know, we think we know what's true, like these labels are going to help. What are you? Really? So what is true? What is true? Do these labels, these boxes... Um, Even the ones we give ourselves, do they really define who we are? Have you ever had the feeling there's something more? How exactly do they help us get to know one another? To put one another in boxes too? Is that our intention? Is that what we're trying to do? I don't think we... I don't think that's intention, right? So maybe there's a disconnect. Maybe there's another way. You're in my group. You're not in my group. In group, out group. I know my tribe. You're in my tribe. You're not. Ouch, ouch. So in the beginning of practice, I hurt. I hurt. I was confused. I did not know how to move forward. But my partner then introduced me to Zen. And um, my first introduction to Zen was when I was dating. Um, And my partner would get out of bed and go sit on a cushion in the morning and face a wall. And I'm like, yo, what's that about? (laughs) Did I do something wrong? (laughs) Like they're getting out of bed and like, Facing the wall is more interesting than what's over here. What is that? You know, you know. And so I, 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 I asked my partner then. Oh no, no, no! This is this thing. My partner said to me that I learned. I took this class, a meditation, and they said it might like be helpful if you like sat still. And there was a story about you know an ancestor facing the wall. And so, baby, not about you. It's really just about me trying to practice my mind. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Practicing your mind, what does that mean? Well, you know, they said, it's busy in here. I'm like, I know that. Yes. So so later I thought I would check it out. And we found the Zen Center of New York City, um, which then was located um, in Chelsea. And I, so I gave the practice a try. And in time, I have found personally, the regular practice and working with a teacher on Zen training um, has offered me glimpses into a larger existence, one within which I feel connection, um, interconnection, warmth, love, generosity, kindness, and yes, solidarity, human solidarity. So I guess that may be part of why I'm sitting here right now. I've stayed, kept at it. I continue to train. I do not have answers, but I'm 
still going to work at it because I know my before life and I know the life that includes my practice and there is no comparison in the way that I meet the realities of my day-to-day existence and the ways that I create a clear intention when I want to have a difficult conversation with someone or even walk my puppy fizzy. So what's real and what's not real? Wow, it's really nice to see everybody, especially the newcomers. It was nice to meet you upstairs for the first time. Welcome to the temple. So what on earth is this practice of reality, true reality? What does that even mean, true reality? We know it's real, right? Maybe. So I'm quoting again from the same thing I read before. The practice of true reality is simply to sit serenely in silent introspection. When you have fathomed this, you cannot be turned around by external causes and conditions. Okay, so I'm breaking this down. The practice of true reality is simply to sit serenely in silent introspection. Got it. Got that. I understand. Seems straightforward. Sit serenely introspection. Introspection. What's that mean? Okay, I looked it up. Introspection is defined as the examination or observation of one's own mental and emotional processes. A reflective looking inward. An examination of one's own thoughts and feelings. Okay, I like that. An examination, observation of one's own mental and emotional processes. Mental processes. What is the process of my mind? What is the process of my emotions? Never had I encountered such a question until I found this practice. What's the process of my mind? What is the process of my emotions? So, quote, when you have fathomed this, you cannot be turned around by external causes and conditions. Becoming a person who cannot be turned around by external causes and conditions. That was not straightforward to me. (laughs) Um, That did not seem straightforward, but I wanted that. I want to be a person who cannot be turned around by external causes and conditions. So if I'm engaged in the process of observing my own mental and emotional processes, then what is it I'm doing when I'm turned around all the time? What am I doing? Why do I react to causes and conditions so often, so dramatically sometimes, so strongly? I mean, I've had periods in my life where I felt like I am my emotion, but am I really? Why do emotions take up so much real estate in my mind? Sometimes they're huge. But what even are emotions? What the heck is going on in here? Could I have, do I have this empty, wide open mind that is subtly and correctly illuminating? Could I have that? Could I have that in me too, this little brown girl from the projects? Me too, really? Maybe Zen masters, but who is this teaching for? Who's this for? 
Does it even apply to me? Spacious and content without confusion from inner thoughts of grasping to effectively overcome habitual behavior and realize the self that is not possessed by emotions. Realize the self that is not possessed by emotions. So what's in my way? What's in my way of realizing the self that's not possessed by emotions? Pleasantness, unpleasantness, good, bad, like, dislike. I found these concepts in my way. I have found these in my way. Oh, I like that. I'm going to do that. I don't like that. Right? So I'm not going to let that in. I'm only going to pick and cherry pick. I only want happiness all the time. Anything that's negative, nah, I don't want that. You know, as if that's a real experience of existence. Right? But I realized for time... For I was practicing so much of my life expecting always pleasantness and anything that was unpleasant was to be jettisoned as if, I don't know, a disnified upbringing or something, as if like everything's supposed to be like sunflowers and butterflies all the time and if it's not, something's broken. But is that really true? Good, bad, like, dislike. I don't like these binaries. I identify as she, they. I use those pronouns. I don't like binaries. I don't think they're particularly helpful in pretty much any respect. So what if I didn't care? What if I didn't care about pleasant and unpleasant and just let everything be just as it is? What if I let thoughts come Let them go. Let things be as they are. Do I do that? Do I do that? Let things be as they are? Have I lived my life in a way that lets things be as they are? Or do I put stuff on, pile labels, judgments, preferences, like, dislike, pleasant, unpleasant? Thoughts come and go, sensations in the body come and go, sounds come and go, restlessness comes and goes, doubts, they come and go too. So too, with pleasant thoughts and feelings, And emotions, too. They come and go. Can awareness reflect all these things equally? Like, what is there to hold on to or push away? So I ask myself these questions a lot. Um, I'm curious by nature. I think it's been very helpful in my Zen practice to be so curious. So if you want to hold on to a thought or a feeling... Where do you find it? How do you find it? And how do you hold on? How literally do I hold on? How, what is the, how does this stuff work? And what is holding on? 
What exactly is holding on? And where do thoughts and feelings live? Where do they live? Are they alive? Do they breathe? Do I feed them? How do I feed them? When we're distracted or lost in thought, beginning instruction teaches us to notice that. I'm distracted. Just see it. Oh, I'm lost in thought again. There I go. Return. Begin again. Start at one. Come back to the beginning of my practice. Start again. With clear awareness. With a clear intention. I'm sitting now. I'm training my mind. I'm training my body. I'm learning stillness. In Zen, Zazen is the center of so much of what we do in Zen practice in particular. Mind-body training. Oops, there I go, off again. Come back home, right here. I think that perhaps many of us color our awareness by liking and disliking sensations and thoughts and feelings and even feelings around meditation practice. How's it going? Is it going well today? You know, is it going badly? Where do we run off with that? You know, like, oh, bad Buddhist today. It's bad. You know, like, okay? You know? Can we unwind all of that? Just drop it. Just drop it. And be nakedly aware of raw sensation. Drop it. Naked awareness of raw sensation. I'm counting my breath. That's it. So I have a story I want to tell. It's my tattoo story. Um, so um, last fall, um, I served in the training position of chief disciple at the monastery. Um, and uh, in the role, or shuso. Um, and in that role, um, I attended... Um, um, all the session and and really uh, was able to work very closely with the teachers uh, and I thought when um, I was asked would I serve in the role of chief disciple I want to commemorate this experience somehow it's very important um, to me not just the role of chief disciple but my practice and if I'm going to do this I want I want it with me, and of course it is with me, but I wanted like a visual something about it. So I thought, I'm going to get a tattoo. Um, and, um, and I knew what I wanted the tattoo to be. I wanted the tattoo to be my name. Chike means wisdom jewel. Uh, my first teacher, Daito Roshi, gave me the Dharma name Chike. And when he explained... My name, and um, as I understand it, Dharma names are given to students either as something that um, um, gives a glimpse of, of who that particular being is in the world, how they are, how they, are, how they work with um, their life practice, or, or the name could be aspirational. Um, and so Chike means wisdom. 
And um, when Daito Roshi gave me my name, he said, wisdom, not intelligence, social justice lawyer woman, not smarts, wisdom. And it is the wisdom embodied in the dragon, the dragon in, in our histories often symbolizes the embodiment of wisdom. So the dragon, chi. And K is jewel, the pearl of enlightenment. And my teacher said, you, chi K, in order to access the jewel of enlightenment, you got to confront that dragon. You got to confront that dragon through practice. So I was like, that would be aspirational. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so I spent um, the times that I wasn't at the monastery um, researching dragons. Um, <laughs> what kind of dragon? What colors should it be? Um, Chinese dragons, Japanese dragons. Anyway, I did all my homework and research, and I found the right people and designed this tattoo, which I was going to get at the end um, after um, Ango completed. And so um, I kept this image in my mind alive, Chi K practicing Ango. It was really nurturing. I felt held by it. Um, so um, I got the image down. I located the, the artists. Um, and uh, I was ready for my appointment. Uh, the ongo was completed. I was very excited. Um, I laid on a table. It's on my arm laying on a table with my arm outstretched, and I'm feeling excitement. Here's the beginning of this thing. I'm going to be able to carry it with me. And then the artist starts stabbing me with a needle in my arm. I was like, oh, what have I done? What have I done? Um, Ouch, <laughs> how long am I going to have to stay here doing this? Whoa, whoa. And then I thought, pain, and what if, and oh my God, it's going to be hours, and I don't know how to handle And then I stopped, and I took a breath, and I asked myself, what is actually going on? What is actually happening in this moment? Well, one, I'm future tripping. Because all that stuff that I'm worried about in the next whatever, it ain't here at all. All I am is here, like laying down, relaxed, some like music going on with a very wonderful person there who has agreed to do work for me, who was gentle and wonderful. And I'm going, so what do I feel? I feel buzzing. I feel vibration. I feel a kind of sharpness. Well, that's really interesting. Where does it go in my body? It's just localized to the area he's working on. Uh, I got curious about it, and I was no longer afraid. It was fear. It was just fear. I was disliking this sensation. 
freaking out about what have I done? How am I going to do this for hours? I really have to come back to get color <laughs> later on, right? But feeling curious about it and getting still with it completely changed my experience of getting my tattoo. Completely changed it. I was even, I'm someone who, I was a nurse in my other life. I've given many injections. I don't even look when people give me injections, right? But it shifted my experience so much that I was staring the whole time at what he was doing. I was so curious. And it was not an experience of pain. And it made me really appreciative of how, like that my experience of something can shift based on my understanding of what's actually happening in the moment, based on my understanding of what's really going on, what's real. That's my tattoo story. Spacious and content without confusion from inner thoughts of grasping effectively overcome habitual behavior and realize the self that is not possessed by emotions. Counting my breath, following my breath. Do we notice the moment it begins? Do we notice the moment it passes away? Are we really practicing what is happening? happening in the moment. There's a pause in between, too. There's a space. There's a little space in between an inhalation and an exhalation. What is that place? Have you noticed that? That space between inhaling, exhaling? What's happening in between inhale and exhale, that pause? It's, it's very still there. What do you find? It's good, I think, to start there with this practice. Just breathing. What is it? What am I experiencing? Taking a few minutes each day to do this, I think it's quite unlike not doing it. It's certainly very, very much unlike never doing it, which is, I think, where many, many people are, you know, not really cultivating a space in their life for the contemplation of stillness, investigation of what this, how this mind works. What is thinking? What are thoughts? What am I feeling? What's true? What's real? More and more, as I've created the habit of Zen training in my life, I feel it's quite a revolutionary thing to do. My curiosity seems important there, too. That even just being aware of how liking or not liking an experience is a severable component of my lived experience, of my life, and that we need not always, in every case, be taken in by our preferences? Are they even ours? 
another conversation. They can just be there too, right? Oh, I have this preference. I'm seeing that. Oh, God, I'm really not liking that. Do I have to turn away from that? Can I take that in? They can just be there too. They can just be there too. Ah, I see that I'm liking that right now. Good to know. What might this be if I did not have a preference? Would I experience it any differently? Would I choose to act somehow differently if I didn't have a preference? I think this is a remarkable insight into the nature and plasticity of consciousness. Zen training has taught me this is true. And of course, I'm still learning. I'm still practicing all the time. It's getting a little easier to find that place. I don't need a lot of time. I can go into a fraught meeting. I know I'm going into a fraught meeting with somebody who is feeling lots of ways about something. How can I help? Well, what do I do? I'm a native New Yorker. I run from place to place. It's exhausting. I just want to walk. I just want to sit down. So before I have that difficult meeting, I take 10 seconds. And I feel my feet on the ground or my butt in the chair. And I relax my shoulders. And I just breathe. And I think... How can I be of service? How can I find the humanity on the other side of this table? And then I can have the meeting in a way that feels really different from what I might have done in the past. Zen training has taught me that that, that which is aware of pleasant and unsaid a pleasant and unpleasant sensation is the same and feels just the same as that which is aware of pleasant. Pleasant feels the same. Feelings, there they go. There really is a kind of equanimity intrinsic to consciousness that can be liberating to discover, to give up simply the automatic struggle we live with moment by moment and acquire an ability to leave things just as they are. Thus, thus, this moment. If only for moments at a time, then we know it, right? If it's even for moments at a time. I can't help this this digression, but it reminds me of the Harry Potter series. I know lots of people have all kinds of issues with the Harry Potter thing, but... There's this part at the end of it that really spoke to me about how in the end when Harry Potter has to have the major confrontation, he knows he can do it because he saw himself do it in the past. So even though he's afraid, even though he has this huge confrontation with he who may not be named, who must not be named, um, he knows he has everything he needs because he now trusts himself. He had that experience in the past. 
I like that. I like that recognition. So if we can acquire an ability to leave things just as they are, if only for moments at a time, I think that's revolutionary. I find that liberating. This feels to me like freedom. To give up the search by merely paying attention to what's going on, making progress, failing to make progress, it's all all illusion. We have this moment. Real progress, I think, is to lose this idea of progress, not merely to give it up, but to move beyond it. Because consciousness is already exactly as it is. It's already here. We're not getting closer to it. We're not getting more of it. We're not improving it. The task is just to recognize it. So we can just relax and notice the openness and clarity of our mind. It's our birthright. We already have this. You already have this. Even if today is the first day you ever walked in to any place practicing Zen, you already have it. And even bad experiences, bad experiences, air quote, reveal the character of consciousness. Pain, anxiety, self-doubt. Ah, that's that tape. There's that tape. I'm playing. I know you. Come on in. Sit down. I see you. Let's just sit. Hi, friend. Meditation is the act of noticing that every experience comes out of nothing and dissolves back into nothing. And we are always free to recognize that. So I'm going to end with another little excerpt from a different section of Cultivating the Empty Field. This one is under the heading, Performing the Buddha Work. From the beginning, it is altogether complete, undefiled and clear down to the bottom, where everything is correct and totally sufficient. Attain the pure eye that illuminates thoroughly, fulfilling liberation. Enlightenment involves enacting this. Stability develops from practicing it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.